Hi, I'm Rob Shear. I'm the founder of a national nonprofit called Comfort Cases. I'm an advocate for children in our foster care system, a public speaker, author of the book, A Forever Family, but most importantly, I'm the father of five children. Hi, I'm Dana McKay, and I saw Rob on The Ellen Show, and when I realized his organization was based right where I live, I knew I had to get involved. I'm also a radio host and now the director of communications for Comfort Cases. Our country's foster care system is shattered, and the podcast is about how we, as a community, can come together to bring about change, changing the system, and changing the lives of children in care. Welcome to the Fostering Change Podcast. Today we are talking to Alexis Lenderman Black and Justin Black. They just recently got married. They both spent time in foster care as children, and now they work as advocates for kids in the system. They wrote a book together called Redefining Normal, which will be released soon, and they're here to tell their stories today. Thank you, Alexis and Justin, for being on the podcast. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for having us on. We we definitely appreciate your being on here and having the opportunity to talk to you guys. Well, we're excited. Yes. Well, we're very, very excited. We're very excited. Again, congratulations on your amazing wedding. I actually um, follow both of you on social media, so I was able to see some of the most beautiful pictures. Um, and I've also, like I said, I followed you all for a while, so I, I'm very familiar with your journey. And um, I was kind of sad to to see that you had to cut your trip um, early when the pandemic hit. Um, I'm glad glad that you made it home safely. Um, you guys, how long had you been in Africa? So we were in South Africa for, um, I would say, January through March, and then we had to be emergency evacuated and actually stay in RV for two weeks during quarantine. And that's actually how we started the book. We um, started writing it during quarantine in the RV. So, you know, I, I'd love for our listeners to hear your story because, you know, we talk about this quite often when it comes to kids who are in the system. We all know that our statistics only show that 54% of kids in our foster care system actually graduate from high school, and we know that only 3% of them actually get a college education. And when I see the success of not one but both of you, um, you know, I feel that my future is so bright because of, of young people like yourselves. So I would love for each one of you to start and tell us um tell us your story. Um so I guess I guess I'll go first. Uh so I'm from Detroit, um and I grew up with um both my parents until the age of nine years old and I, the reason I entered the foster system is because um my mom dealt with uh substance abuse issues and my dad dealt with similar issues and with the selling drugs or doing drugs, uh, our family kinda had a generational cycle and pattern of uh, domestic abuse, substance abuse, and um, at the age of nine years old, uh, as the youngest of five siblings, I entered the foster care system with my older uh, brother, my brother right above me, two years older. And we have been in the foster care system for, I would say, uh, 10 plus years until we aged out in Michigan. Um, at Michigan, you aged out of foster care at 21. And... Yeah, just a bunch of trials and tribulations, but just learning and maturing through the experience overall of being in foster care. And, um, of course, foster care somewhat, I would say, saved my life. Of course, I had my struggles within the system, but I would say overall, it, it actually saved my life. And 
being where I am now, um, I, I wouldn't change, you know, the path at all. And and thank God, I w- in my freshman year, I was able to meet, you know, my, my future wife, Alexis, and we met through the Caesar Scholars Program, and I'm sure she can talk a little bit about that and how we met. And, um, you know, we just kind of, uh, uh, freshman year, we kind of got together <laughs> and, and formed a relationship. And so so crazy that because too far for you usually don't doesn't have a healthy relationship and for us to kind of dig dig deep within ourselves and challenge ourselves on how we can improve was really amazing so yeah so i have a couple questions and dana i probably know you too as well before we move on um were you and your brother split up so i mean i had five siblings so we technically siblings like my older siblings they were kind of older so they aged out earlier um, and my, me and my brother, when I was about, uh, I would say 16 or 17, we did have to split up because I was leaving the home and they wanted me, but they didn't want him. And it was, it kind of got tricky, but we spent the majority of our time together in foster care from about me being nine years old to about the age of about, I would say 17. And we stayed together for the most part. And, um, it wasn't until I left the city of Detroit because I didn't have anywhere else to stay, any of my family members or friends or anyone else to stay with. And, um, again, the home that we were in right before we split, we, um, they wanted me or they wanted him, but they didn't want me. And it was, it was very, uh, you know, it got real sticky. So, and I just decided to leave and, uh, that, that's where we split when I was about 17. So when you say that you, that foster care system or that going into foster care saved your life, did you have, was there a specific person or a specific, you know, situation, a family that you were placed with that you feel had that impact on you? Or was it just getting away from the drugs and the situation in your family that you think helped you to be able to grow and mature in a positive direction? Uh, it was, it was so many things. First, I would say, um, so we are, every single human being is usually like a product of their environment. And growing up in the household where I grew up with my mom and my dad, and actually uh, my mom just recently passed about a week, week and a half ago. And uh, I forgot to mention that a while back. But um, so we, we all pretty much are a product of our environment. And growing up in the household where I grew up, where there was a lot of substance abuse, not only just in the household, but just in the neighborhood in general, Drug abuse, uh, uh, drug dealing, uh, domestic violence, um, a, a lot of things were normalized that, that shouldn't have been normalized. And uh, looking back at my childhood, I can slowly see myself, and it, it's crazy just going back and putting myself in, in my shoes when I was 9 or 10 years old as a child and seeing that I was starting to become a product of my environment where I looked up to the neighborhood drug dealers as idols and... I wanted to be one when I was a child and just, just walking down this path of emptiness and trying to search my identity, it became, it became hard to really discover who I was. And so I really left that environment. And uh, the more I moved, the more, the further I got from that environment, but it really challenged me to be more independent. And even, um, I, I was, Placed in a group home after leaving my brother at 17, and even though it was hard leaving family and very difficult, I feel like 
the the barriers of trying to be around my family with my family is pretty difficult. So I think that at 17, when me being on my own in this group home, um, where I did receive foster care stipends and had to go grocery shopping for myself and had to really challenge myself and ask, you know, do I want to go to college and what is my next step in life? And it has so many amazing mentors. And as an African-American, you, you don't see too many positive examples. So seeing so many black pastors and businessmen and, and architects and engineers around me really gave me hope that I could go to college and be successful. So just being in that environment, I think environment means a lot. And just it really takes a community to raise a child. And uh, it, it just drastically different communities really changed my life and inspired me. Wow. wow. So, what's going on, Rob? Just to hear your story, you know, I have a son. He's thirteen years old, and he's going through what you're, you went through. He's trying to find himself, and and it's affected our family so much. And I hear you say how people are a part of their environment, but I have to tell you, I believe that we're so much more than that. We're so much more than we're in our environment. We're so much more about a part of choices that we made. You know, just like you, I came from drug addicted parents and, um, you know, all the time I used to sit back and I used to say, you know, I, my, my mother was a part of her environment. My father was a part of their environment until I got into my thirties. And I realized that I was doing the same thing that they were doing. I was doing drugs. I was trying to numb myself. Um, and it took me the longest time to realize that they were actually a part of a choice. A choice. You know, and I think about my my baby who's, like I said, 13 years old. And as he's struggling down this path of trying to find himself, trying to um, connect with, you know, what he thinks thinks it's the right path when it comes to the drugs and the gangs and you know um it's just it hits home it hits home really really hard dana it's um you know i have to tell you i'm so proud of the fact that you know i talk about this quite often the grit the grit um i know you guys have heard that word so many times and and how you had the ability to pull yourself up and realize that you know what you're you're going to break the cycle and it's what i hope for all five of my children is that they realize that you know we all have an opportunity to break the cycle and then for you to meet the love of your life at such a young age too by the way cuz i will tell you i it took me many 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 years of therapy thousands of dollars of therapy until I met my husband in my late 30s. Um, and we're just, you know, celebra- getting ready to celebrate 16 years together. So I would love to hear. Wow, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. And by the way, I want to say I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you lost your mom. I hope that there was a part of you that you were able to forgive. I remind people all the time on our show that forgiveness is not for them. Um, forgiveness is for you. Forgiveness is for you to take the power back. Um, It's taken me a long time to look and be able to say I forgive my parents for what we went through and what I went through, but I do truly in the bottom of my heart forgive them. And again, I did not do it for them. I did it for me. Um, And so I hope you had an opportunity to at least close that chapter before your mother passed away. Um, 
because you do know as well as anyone that, you know, even though that she did make choices, we have no support in our system, no support within our community, no support within our nation of people who suffer through drug abuse. Um, we think that the key is to remove children when in truth what we should be doing is supporting the family to make them healthier. So, um, again, I, I, my condolences for losing your mom. Yeah, thank you so much. And I feel like I did somewhat get that closure. Um, when she came to my wedding the week before she was killed, um, I really got that closure and we cried together, we hugged and we kinda embraced each other like we never had before. So I, I did somewhat get that closure. So thank you so much for just, you know, um all your well wishes. Definitely appreciated that. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that must be really tough what you're going through right now. So I'm sorry. Yeah. So I would love to hear your beautiful wife's story, you know, um, because here you have two strong humans. And I always we say it, Dana, and I say it quite often. We wear our T-shirts and our mask about being good humans. And you two truly are, are walking that walk. So I, I'd love to hear I'd love to hear your story. Yeah, sure. So um, I actually entered foster care at 13. Um, and that's when my dad went to prison. And he went to prison for um, physically, mentally and sexually abusing me. And um, I actually had to testify against him my freshman year of high school. So that was rough. Um, but you get through it. And then um, he lost his rights my sophomore year. And I was placed with family members, um, but it was actually not a good placement for me um, just because it was also not a healthy environment. Um, there was uh, mental abuse and um, emotional abuse that was happening. <sighs> Sorry. And, um, and so it made it difficult to concentrate and be in school. But then to add on top of that, I was actually in an eight-year abusive relationship um, with somebody that was really not good for me. Um, and I didn't leave that relationship until college because I always expected that love hurts. And um, that's just kind of an expectation that I that I got from my dad. Um, that, tr- that love doesn't mean respect, trust, vulnerability. Um, partnership, like all the things that love doesn't represent. Um, that's really what I learned from my dad, and that's how it played out in all my relationships. And so I really have been on a journey of unlearning and relearning, and what does that look like? Um, lots of counseling. <laughs> I went to probably, now it's probably like 15 years of counseling, uh, which I highly recommend for everybody. And, um, I fought through, um, thoughts of suicide. I went, I've been hospitalized for it. Um, my mom actually, my biological mom actually, um, died by suicide and so did my grandma. And so knowing that now, um, I wish I would have known that younger actually, because I think that it would have helped me try to seek help sooner. Um, but because I didn't know, I just kind of had to battle through that myself. And then, uh, um, I met my, Foster now adopted parents. I actually was adopted at 26, um, and I met them my junior year in high school. Um, and they're the greatest people on the planet. And we're actually with them right now. Um, when we were evacuated from South Africa, we, we came straight here. So they've always been an open home and a place that we can come to. So that's what we're living at right now. We're actually in their closet because <laughs> we have we have five kids in the house. So we're in their closet, like hide the way we're quiet <laughs> in order to do this. <laughs> Okay, I, okay, 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 okay. This wow. is like, I mean, wow, okay. Did you just say you were adopted at 26? Yes, and I purposely waited until I was 26 because I didn't want to lose my health insurance. Um, 
I knew for a long time that I wanted for them to adopt me. Um, but I was worried that I would lose my health insurance because I have a couple of health issues. And so I was really worried of what that was going to look like, um, to be on a different health insurance plan because uh, Medicaid really covered everything, um, that I needed. So I would purposely wait until I was 26. And then when I was 25, I asked them, um, I said for my 26th birthday, can you please adopt me? And so, um, I was adopted in December. And also part of that was because I wanted my dad to walk me down the aisle. So I was adopted in December and then he walked me down the aisle in August. Wow. Oh my gosh, I that's amazing! That. <laughs> Make me cry again, <laughs> damn know. it! Okay, so so the, oh my gosh, there are so many things. Okay, so first of all, I have to tell you that when I first Dana and I talked, we wanted both of you on. We wanted to talk about your book. Um, we wanted to talk about, but but I just realized after listening to this is that this is going to be a two part um, podcast. Um, so Dana and I are going to have you back on again just to focus on the book because I think that what you just did both. Both of you, you put such a teaser out there to our listeners um, that they're going to want to pre-order this book, and then they're going to want us just to talk about the book. So I've got a lot more questions to ask. So number one, you did exactly what I see so many people do and what I did as well. You know, I, I write about it in my book, A Forever Family, where I went from abusive relationship to abusive relationship because that's what I saw and that's what I thought was supposed mm-hmm. to happen. Um, and exactly. the, the fact that, you know, having your mother and your grandmother both take their life, um, it, I mean, we all know genetically, you know, um, that it is something that we see within our pattern. You know, I have my oldest son, um, you know, whose mother took his, her life as well. And, you know, we, we worry about, you know, I worry about him every day just because he's my son. But, um, but how old were you when you found out that that happened? So I was actually in my, I think I was in my sophomore year in high school and it was right before track meet. So, um, I, I found out um, I was in the locker room, and I'm trying to figure out why. I'm trying to actually remember why my aunt told me right before the track meet, but um, I remember texting my brother and asking him, did he know? And he said yes, and I just remember feeling so betrayed because we always had this agreement that if we found out, like, what happened to her, um, that we would tell each other because the story that we were told as a kid that she fell and broke her neck, that just didn't seem like a plausible scenario of what happened, and so we just kind of always felt like something else happened. Um, and that he knew and he didn't tell me. Um, and then it happened right before it tracked me. And so I just like get the whole meet and stayed in the locker room. <laughs> oh my gosh. And, and how old were you? How old were you when she died? Um, I was six. Okay. Wow. That's a lot to find out right yeah. before a track meet. And, and then when did you find out about your grandmother? That actually found out, I think not even just a year or two ago. Um, I've, my brother doesn't really talk about these things at all, really. Um, and it's really pulling teeth to try to get him to talk about anything. So I brought it up to him, um, you know, just trying to understand more about what happened. And actually I've been on this journey of like trying to fill in all these gaps. And so, um, I found some people that worked with her and we actually all got together at a park and just talked about her and I was able to ask questions and figure out things. And, um, my brother just came out and said, oh yeah, did you know that's how grandma died too? And I'm like, no, I didn't. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah, that is that that is beyond crazy. Be, beyond crazy to have to have any child go through that and you know again, I I say this quite often, you know, not knowing 
We all need to know about our past. Um, and I think we do a shitty job in our foster care system um, doing that. You know, I get, you know, it was, I I just recently um, had gotten back, and Dane, I didn't even tell you this. I had recently just gotten back being with my kids for a while, and um, I got home and there was a stack of mail, and um Damn it, I'm gonna cry again today. And I was there was a package. And um and I saw and I could tell in the handwriting that it was my from my friend Nancy. Nancy and I had been friends since third grade. And Nancy had just recently visited and I had made a comment to her as she was walking around our house looking at all the pictures of all of our children from the time they were little as you know what the age they are now. And um I made a comment to her and I said, you know, I said I don't have any pictures of me when I was little. And I just, it was a just off the cuff comment. Didn't, we didn't get into a discussion and I opened up this box and in the box was a picture of her and I in third grade together oh my that she had found and she had framed and she had said in the letter to me, she said, she said, I was so hurt. And I didn't know how to tell you that how sad I was for you, that you didn't have a picture at all of you as a child. And here's a picture of you and I in third grade together. And it's the greatest picture. And she framed it and sits on my desk at home. But, you know, and the reason I bring that story up is because, you know, I I think about you coming into the system at 13, your husband coming into the system at nine. I see so many times children who come into the system and, and they linger in this forever pit of a hole and we don't document it we can't take pictures and we it's just awful right I mean and even just when people are with their foster families they're not allowed to post their pictures anywhere so I mean I know they still a lot it seems like a lot of foster parents actually do take pictures the ones that are on social media a lot but the fact that we hide their faces and I know it's a privacy issue but also like I feel like when you have to hide your face that's like shame associated with it and it shouldn't be that way um and i don't know what your feelings might be on that which i want to know yeah yeah what what do you how do you guys feel about that? yeah i understand um i have really mixed feelings because um like an example my i have a little sister uh who my adoptive parents adopted right before me and i was slightly jealous because i wanted to be the first adopted but that's my point um she she was adopted and um uh they purposely hid her identity in any way, shape, or form because her um, biological father was trying to find her and they were worried that they may cause harm to her or to um, to them if they find her. And so there was a lot of issues around privacy to where I wasn't even allowed to post her name on my social media, which hurt me because I'm like, she's my little sister. I want to include her in the family. And then anytime I take a family photo or anything, I have to put a stamp or something over her face. And I had to remember that... Um, you know, it's her privacy, but it's also her safety. But in other cases where there's not necessarily a safety issue, um, I wish that there was a way for photos and things to be posted um, just because it does. it is hurtful if um, your face is always covered up or you're not even allowed to share their name as if they're a real human being. So, um, so yeah, I have really mixed feelings about that one. <laughs> yeah, I will, I will always say um, I would try to just protect the child at all costs um, because, you know, there may be a situation where there is safety issues for a lot of foster youth. Um, I understand completely that it can be hurtful not to be acknowledged uh, uh, publicly somewhat with your name or your photo, but 
I, I somewhat understand just you're trying to protect the youth at all costs because I've heard so many situations about youth being in danger because there are uh, family members looking out trying to find them. Not not exactly just trying to reconnect for good reasons, but just trying to um, just get their child back to take advantage of them and and put them in a dangerous situation. So, I mean, I'm all for just protect, protecting the youth at all costs, and hopefully it comes a time when if they want to, they can get adopted and, you know, the situation becomes better. But I will all, just say protect the youth first. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I completely, completely understand that part of it. And hopefully there are pictures being taken of these kids so that when they do grow up, they're not like Rob saying there's no pictures of me. So it's not necessarily just about them being posted on social media or anything like that, but private pictures. You yeah. know, you were part of our family and here's a picture of you when you were two. Yeah, no, I agree. I Let me tell you something. I, I, I totally agree about the whole social media aspect of it. Um, I, I, you know, I think every case is different, um, but I do believe I understand the social media aspect of it. But I think that it should be a requirement that um, children who are in the system they need to have a family book, and it their pictures need to be taken just like their other children's pictures are taken. And I'm not saying that you have to plaster them all over Facebook or plaster them all over, but they definitely need to be taken and there needs to be an album done and i've heard people say oh they're starting this program or we started this nonprofit, or we um but but it's not being done throughout the land it's truly not being done throughout the land and you know i i look at my babies you know i have you know my kids now are 11 13 13 16 and 19 and my 19 year old i finally was able to get a picture of him um through a neighbor by the way through a neighbor um, when he was about wow. five years old. And I love that picture of him. And I actually showed it to him. I actually showed it to him um, the other night. And he was like, why do you got that on my your phone? And I was like, because you're my son and I love you. And I love talking about the fact of adoption because we are also doing the um, adoption. Um, we This is probably the first time I've said it on, on our podcast. I think I might have mentioned it once before. But um, our son, um, Alex, has also requested that his dad and I adopt him. And so we are definitely going to be adopting our fifth child. Um, but yeah, the, you guys, I'm going to tell you, your stories are amazing. Your stories are amazing. Your stories of resilience. I say it all the time. Kids are resilient and you truly show that. And I feel that kids in the system need role models and what amazing role models. So I want to give a little bit of tease out there as we finish up. Um, and again, I want to re- let all of our listeners know through all of our platforms is that this is not the next, the last time you hear um, from this amazing couple. Right. Because they're doing so much now and they have a book called Redefining Normal that's going to be coming out soon. They also run the Scholarship Expert, the Rose Empowerment Group, and all of these different things that in the last 30 minutes minutes, which is how long a podcast is, we didn't even get to that because we were listening to their stories and talking about all that stuff. So we're going to do a part two. Um, and probably a part three. <laughs> maybe. Yes, maybe a part three. So so tell us a, so tell us a little bit, um, just as a teaser kind of about the book and when it's coming out. So the name of the book is Redefining Normal, How Two Foster Kids Beat the Eyes and discover healing, happiness, and love. And that title is very intentional about just redefining uh, our, our normal and challenging other people to do the same. 
and just how do we uh, create this definition of happiness and love and through the process of going through the foster care system, how do we discover healing? So it's basically a little bit of, of basically our story, uh, bouncing back and forth, her perspective on uh, how she developed her identity, my perspective on how I developed my identity. And what's interesting about the book is before the section starts, we have statistics about uh, foster youth, whether that's uh, uh, statistics on foster youth, statistics on black foster youth and or black communities and black men, being that I am a black man. And then we have a scripture, a Bible scripture, that talks about what does God say. So it talks about the statistics of what the world says about foster youth or who we are in our situation, and then talks about what God says. And then we go to, into our story on our perspective, on, on our experiences with this subject. So from there, it talks about both of our stories going back and forth on many different topics as far as mental health, finding our identity. And then uh, you, you kind of follow us along this journey of all all of Alexis' experiences and all of my experiences. And then you have these two foster who meet. And what we talk about how we met at the beginning of the book. But then we come back to how we met and then in our relationship as we try to develop one, how does our life experiences with the positive or negative, which is a lot negative, how are we uh, putting that on our partner unfairly and expressing those emotions and how do we kind of reevaluate what's healthy and not healthy in our relationship and within ourselves and basically trying to improve, uh, improve ourselves as an individual so we can be as best as we can individually, but also improve our relationship uh, by working on ourselves individually and how we come together through this amazing journey and this process. How do we, after our experiences, how do we create our definition of love? How do we discover our true identity after our experiences and our uh, experiences in the child welfare system and interacting with so many different people? How do we define these things for ourselves and not with the world that other people have defined for us? Wow. And when does when's the book available? Well, I know that the book is available in November. The okay. launch date is going to be in November. Um, is there a website that they have listed that uh, we will be listing, Dana? Yes. So it is re-definingnormal.com is the website for the book where you can pre-order it. And we'll post that at comfortcases.org slash podcast on, the, um, on this episode. The, the last 35 minutes that we have spent together, um, I think people are already excited to hear more about your story. You know, as we end this podcast, we always end this podcast, and Dana always asks a question. And so we have two people on the podcast today, so Dana will be asking each one of you the same question. Um, so, Dana, go ahead. If you could change two things about the foster care system, what would they be? And, Alexis, why don't you go first? Okay. So, um, for me, I would say, um, especially during COVID right now, I know specifically um, youth are having such a difficult time visiting siblings. And so I would make it a requirement even further that um, foster youth are required to see their siblings more than just once a month. Um, and even more than quarterly, I know so many foster youth that are only able to see their siblings um, every couple months, especially right now. So that would be my first requirement. And then the other one, uh, or my first suggestion, and then my other one would be um, more access for higher education. And I say that specifically for the scholarship expert, um, just working with so many youth and seeing how youth um, have such a discrepancy in what they know is available for college. And I don't know if foster care agencies aren't 
giving youth and foster parents resources on college because it's kind of an expectation that foster youth don't go to college because it's less than 3%, you know, actually graduate. So I don't know if it's kind of playing off of that stereotype or there's just so many resources that they're kind of overwhelmed with trying to keep up with everything. Um, but I would say making sure that every youth is aware of what resources are out there um, because I know too many youth in Michigan that have no idea that they, that college is even an option um, financially. And I would say every foster youth in Michigan at least um, has access to funding for college. And there's so much funding internet, or, uh, nationally as well. So that would be my two suggestions. Justin? Yeah, I would say for me, um, given my personal experience with transitioning from the foster care system, I would say that there needs to be uh, so much more opportunities and services for foster people who are transitioning out of the foster care system. Um, there's so many foster youth who become homeless and without opportunities, without jobs or couch surfing after they uh, graduate or transition from the foster care system. And there really needs to be something to to help with that because, I mean, there's, so, there's services... Uh, during the foster care system, where there are stipends, um, different programs, there are different. Uh, in, in Michigan, there's MYOI, Michigan Youth Opportunity Initiative, and so many different opportunities and services while in foster care. What about help with transitioning from foster care? Alexis talked about opportunities in higher education. Why are there why why aren't there more programs like the Teacher Scholars Program that help with tuition for foster care youth, where they can um, not worry about tuition and funding um, while in college, and they can worry about the actual studying in school and other things that are just as stressful. Why can't there be housing vouchers available in every single state and throughout the country for foster care youth so they can get housing for at least two to three years so they can get on their feet and uh, find opportunities? Why isn't there uh, just, just access to have a support network and a support system for foster youth uh, after they graduate college or after they transition into adulthood. So even if they don't want to go to college, there's still opportunities out there for them. I think there needs to be special attention on foster care youth who are transitioning from the foster care system. You look at the numbers and statistics of how many foster youth are going to prison after they leave the foster care system or while they're in the foster care system. And there needs to be special focus on people who are just transitioning out of the system because they have all this support, well, not not even all the time, but a lot of people have all this support and love while they're in the system. And then once you leave, you're kind of like, hey, you're on your own, no worker, no mentors, or or anyone who's really there for you because a lot of times in the foster care system, you don't have family members and all the support networks that were there for you, they're paying attention to other youth now, not if you're an adult. So just more services and attention on people who are transitioning from the system. Absolutely. Wow. I, I will tell you, you and I must been have stand. We, we, we have had to have stood on the same stage because what you just said is what I have been preaching for the last seven years as I've entered this arena, um, that, that we do not focus on wraparound services for these children. And by the way, to me, they're children. My son's 19. He's going to be a freshman in college next week. He's still my child. He's a child. And the fact is, is that he has wraparound services. 
services because he has his dad and I. Um, but so many kids don't have that. And I love the whole housing voucher. I, you know, I said, I'm sick and tired of governors say, oh, we pay tuition. No, I need you to do more than pay tuition. I need you to make sure that this child is supported from the very beginning with all that they need all that they need. So listen, my friends, I am so, so excited. This is one podcast that I am just thrilled to death for our listeners to to hear. And I just want to say thank you. We're excited to read your book. Again, what is the website, Dana, they can go to? It's re-definingnormal.com. Yes. The book will be out November 1st. And we're super excited about that. And we'll keep you all updated in the meantime. And so, and Rob and I are hoping to read it so then we can do another episode, yes. you know, maybe sometime in October in Perfect. order to, to promote the book. So we both want to read it and then we will have some more questions for you about your story and we can really share that with our listeners and, and uh, I'm sure a lot of them are going to want to read it too. And by the way, for all of our listeners out there, um, that happens to be the kickoff in National Adoption Month. Yes. And so I'm so, so excited about this. I'm excited. It is definitely going to be my book of the month. I'm going to push this book from the time it comes into my hands because I do think that everybody needs to read this journey. Um, And again, thank you, my friends. You know, continue to keep doing what you're doing every single day, and that's being good humans, and that's all we can ask. Take care, everybody. And again, where can they listen to us, Dana? Uh, We are on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can subscribe and definitely make sure you leave us a review. And you can always go to Comfort cases.org slash podcast. Click on this episode to get links and all the information about Alexis and Justin and their book and everything they're working on right now. Thank you both for being with us today. Bye-bye, everyone. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Dana and I would like to thank all of you for listening to the Fostering Change podcast. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Make sure you follow Comfort Cases on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Comfort Cases. And check out the Fostering Change blog at comfortcases.org. So everybody, we want to hear your stories. So reach out to us if you would like to be a guest on the podcast. You can find me on Facebook at Rob Shear, Instagram at Rob underscore Shear, and on Twitter at Rob Shear 6. And please share this podcast and leave us a review. Remember, we're all part of the same community. Your zip code, it's not your community, but it's our human race. Let's all make a difference.